0: Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you for tuning in. I am pumped about today's episode. Are we going to do it in a box? (laughs) Are we going to do it about a fox?
1: Are we going to do
0: it while eating some locks? Are we going to do it in a basement beneath Fort Knox? Well, that
1: sounds like the, the plot of National Treasure,
0: <laughs> right? Right. Well, uh, this is uh, this is a show that's giving us an excuse to talk about. I, I don't know about you, my friend, but uh, one of my favorite authors when I was growing up is just a wee Ben Bolin. I loved Shel Silverstein, Dr. Seuss, and Stephen King. Wow,
1: that explains so much <laughs> about how you've turned out. Thanks, man. Hey, who are you? I'm Noel. <laughs> It's good uh, to see you. And I'm, I'm going to do it in a hole, mm-hmm. uh, possibly while e- eating cereal from a bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as good at this as, as Theodore Seuss Geisel. <laughs> That's right.
0: That's right. I, you know, I, we have to also ask uh, super producer Casey Pegram, did you read Dr. Seuss as a child, Casey? Absolutely, I did, yeah. What, what were some of your favorite books? I'm terrible at remembering anything childhood-related. It, it kind of all flew out of my brain at some point, but I know I did. I know I had the books around. Uh, I could not tell you titles. I would probably be able to identify them if I went and looked at covers online, but that'd be about it.
1: The covers are a big giveaway. That's what gets burned into my memory. I don't remember the, the titles very much either, Casey, but uh, lately I've been kind of exploring them, especially doing this research, and it was a real nostalgia blast. Mm -hmm. from the past. That's redundant. That was good. Nostalgia. Nostalgia Blast, a Nostalgia Blast is already a blast from the past.
0: Well, if it was a Nostalgia Blast that happened in the past, if you're remembering a time Nostalgia Blast hit you, So, like, even if it was just 20 minutes ago, it still works. That's a good point, Ben. Thank Mm -hmm. you for saving me. No, no, I got to ask, before we go any further, did you have one book by Seuss that really, like, stuck
1: out in your brain? I do. It was One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, because I distinctly remember that being the first thing where I was aware of the fact that I could read. Oh, that's metacognition yeah. right there, my It really friends. is. It yeah. really is. I mean, and, and, and it, I might be manufacturing that memory, mm-hmm. but it stuck with me. Um, I remember being very proud of myself that I could read. But I also think it might have been some combination of memorization as well because uh-huh. it was read to me, and I think I may have been looking at it and reading it from memory and thinking that I was actually reading the <laughs> words because I was very, very little. This is a very early memory.
0: And you also have a, um, a stunning, innate sense of rhythm and cadence.
1: As does... Dr. Theodore seuss
0: Yes. Geisel. Geisel. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the record, my favorite for a long time was the Butter Battle book. I thought that thing was an epic tale of, like, tragedy and heartbreak and the human condition.
1: Well, that's the thing that's neat about this guy's books is they— kind of have these big lofty themes, mm-hmm. like the Lorax, for example, mm-hmm. which is sort of a environmentalist look on conservation and like saving the forests and how mm-hmm. man is like raping and pillaging Mother Earth and all that stuff. But not in a particularly heavy handed or pedantic way. And in a way that's pretty approachable to, you know, youngsters or whatever, but still has some pretty important messages. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And one thing
0: One thing that a lot of kids don't know when we're growing up and reading Dr. Seuss books is that Theodore himself was allegedly not the biggest fan of children, but he was a really interesting guy. And I I think you and I probably had a similar moment later in life where we realized that his family originally pronounced the name Seuss as Zeus. Like
1: Z-O-I-C-E. Yikes. Which I think is a great word. Zoix. <laughs> Zoix. Is, is what I would say. Yeah. Um, he's interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, he got his start working in, like, advertising mm-hmm. as a cartoonist, and there's actually some really problematic cartoons you can dig up uh, yeah. that he did for— It's like a mosquito spray called, like, Zeet or something <laughs> like that or, like, Bleep. I don't know, but it's it's like all of these kind of like African jungle scenes mm-hmm. with his very uh, recognizable elephant. It looks like something out of one of his books. Only it's got a lot of like natives depicted in that horrible way mm-hmm. that you see in early, you know, Disney animations or Warner Brothers cartoons uh, that are now considered completely embarrassing to those companies that are responsible mm-hmm. for all this, like, classic children's entertainment. The same was true for uh, for for Geisel, and he also did some propaganda around, you know, the Japanese with some pretty nasty depictions of, of those folks. During World War II. During World War II, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he was nothing if not prolific, but we did feel it would be remiss on our part if we did not include the less than wonderful, whimsical aspects of his life. You know what I mean? He was a great cartoonist and a great writer, but still a person. And you might be surprised to learn the process that he used to write a lot of these books. The guy was so prolific. He has, what, over 40 Mm -hmm. children's books? And that's not counting any of his advertisement stuff. That's not counting the short-lived comic strip he did before called Hedgy, I believe. But the weird thing is, while we all kind of, I think, naturally want to have this Romanticized idea of a guy who just wakes up in a very bright pastel cartoony house and says, What wonderful lessons will I teach children today? That's not the case. In fact, there was a lot of calculation that went into the way he wrote books. His first successful children's book was called Cat in the Hat. And the story about Cat in the Hat is really surprising. It starts with a guy named John Hershey who was a, uh, a big-time journalist. And in 1954, when writing in Life magazine, he put out an article called Why Do Students Bog Down on First R? A Local Committee Sheds Light on National Problem, colon, Reading. That was colon, the punctuation mark, not reading colons. And
1: is that the one that was kind of a backlash against those super dull Dick and Jane primer books? Yes, just the same, Which is like, see Dick walk, Mm -hmm. see Jane walk too. (laughs) There is a dog, it is Spot. Watch Spot (laughs) walk to Jane. Uh Stuff like that, right? Yeah, because they had a more rigid system of
0: introducing vocabulary words to children. And after reading this article... The director of Houghton Mifflin, the publishing company, the director of Houghton Mifflin's educational division, a guy named William Spaulding, got Theodore Geisel in the room and he said, look, I need you to write a story that first graders actually like. The actual quote is, I need you to write a story that first graders can't put down. And then he put on some weird restrictions. I love this. Yeah, this part was really interesting to me too. So there was a list that Spaulding had, which I guess came from the educational division, of 348 words that were selected from a standard first-grader's vocabulary list. And Spaulding said, okay, Theo, you've got to write this book, but you can only use words from this list and you can't use them all you can only use, what, 225?
1: Exactly. Yeah, and I think originally he wanted the story to be about, like, a queen cat and a king cat, but queen wasn't on the list, so he had to, like, (laughs) adjust, and then he realized that hat rhymed with cat, and that was a good starting point, and the rest is history. Which, yeah, it took him nine months to write this book, primarily,
0: I believe, because of that word restriction, and according to the story, he... Didn't quite hit 225. It was still a little bit longer, right?
1: Yeah, I think he, you know, if we're going to call that a bet, then he sort of failed the exact parameters that were uh, given to him. But he came damn close.
0: Yeah, 236 words. And I get the feeling this was almost more of a mandate from his boss. I love thinking about what the original story with the king cat and the queen cat would have been. Because now I see this picture of, Theodore Geisel, like, pulling his hair out and gnashing his teeth and trying to figure out how to depict this cat as somehow regal or kingly. And then the best he could come up with is, all
1: right, he's got a hat because we can't use crown. Yeah. I feel like that's what happens. That's probably true. That's a good point. (laughs) Um, And, of course, you know, uh, when I say the rest is history, I mean, like, literary history. It's it's sold a million copies, like, right off the rip, I think, in the first – Couple of years that mm-hmm. it was out in print, right? Yeah, first and he three years, was yeah. able to quit his day job um, as an ad guy, an admin, you know, <laughs> and went on to become a whimsical children's book writer full time. Zoysa, Zoysa, <laughs> that's my new exclamation. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's good, Ben. That's quite good.
0: I also like uh, what was the name of. That pesticide company, was a Z, or was it something? Oh,
1: you know, I actually looked it up. It's called Flit. Flit. Yeah, like, you know, bugs. They flit. <laughs> oh, and they this f- is what you squirt at them to make them stop
0: flitting forever. <laughs> stop the flit. Uh, I don't know why I'm feeling these catchphrases so much, my friend. But uh, we know that a lot of people love the way Zoys wrote. And so, you know what? I'm just going to call him Dr. Seuss for this show. For our
1: purposes here? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah they- that's fair. Okay, it just feels more comfortable. You know what I mean? we all know who Dr. Seuss is. Right, but this Dr. Zeuss guy. Yeah, he he sounds like (laughs) some sort of mad scientist. So,
0: he does. So, this guy's career takes off. He becomes a prolific author of children's books that are loved around the world, especially the English-speaking world, obviously. And then, in 1960... Just about three years after Cat in the Hat's come out, he has a strange conversation with a guy named Bennett Cerf,
1: the co-founder of Random House. Mm -hmm. He does. It's very similar to the conversation he had with uh, Mr. Hershey that kicked off his career, you know, in such a huge way with Cat in the Hat. This guy really ups the ante here uh, in terms of what that first bet, I guess, or – Challenge would have mm. been. And he challenges Seuss to write a children's book that uses 50 unique words or less. Unique being individual words. Which sounds like if, you, if you're if you
0: just thinking about this initially at first blush, this could sound like, hey, that's enough words for a children's book. It's not because what they mean by unique words is that let's say if you had a word that was – I'll just I'll pick one um admiral, sure, right. Then you can use that one word as many times as you would like, right
1: it's It's like that vocabulary list we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, and uh, I think you know it was around two hundred and sixty words for Cat in the hat, so that's and that's a pretty relatively straightforward sing songy kind of like simple yeah. language book. So that this is like really taking it to the next level because to use fifty words mm-hmm. and still have it A tell a story and not just be completely just see dick run. Right, exactly. Yeah. So he took this as a challenge and he delivered. I propose
0: that we play a game with the listeners, Noel, because we have this list we of do. the fifty words. We do, we do. Okay, so let's let's read out some of these words, not not all 50, and let's like skip the ones that automatically give it away. And let's see if you can guess which book this is. Okay, are you ready, folks? All right. A, am, and anywhere are boat box car could dark do eat here house i if in let like. I think that's pretty hard to guess. We didn't have any really you, juicy in there. You're not
1: going to finish? Is that it?
0: Oh no do you want do you want to do the rest of them? Are you skipping the word green? Is that in there? Oh yeah. <laughs> Casey on the wow. case.
1: Wow. Spoiler alert. I love it. No, we hadn't gotten there yet, but yes. In fact, green, (laughs) eggs, and (laughs) ham are all in this list. And that's ham like the food, not ham like hard as a (laughs) moth.
0: Right. That was a little bit before uh, Seuss's time, or maybe that was part of his uncollected work. I
1: actually read somewhere that he coined the word crunk. Did he But it didn't mean the same thing as it means in the parlance of today. Oh, that's so cool. But it appeared first in print.
0: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know this. I ain't no
0: spy girl. Like never before.
2: That's my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: Big screen. I
2: want to be remembered for just
0: being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
2: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a beginner man. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
0: This book that he wrote on a bet is known today as Green Eggs and Ham. And I was thinking there's a... There's a neat coincidence here when he has this conversation with Bennett Cerf, Um, When they make that bet for, what, $50, right? It works out to a dollar a word, which I thought was – I don't know if that's on purpose, but it's pretty neat.
1: And I think a $50 bet back then would have been yeah, a couple hundred bucks now, right? Yeah. 300 bucks maybe?
0: Yeah, a little close – maybe a little closer to four. Oh, okay. But, uh, but yeah, so it's – it's still a significant amount of money, but to this guy who's a best selling author now, it's not like a make or break thing as far as his bank accounts concerned. Do
1: we know where, where this falls in the in the Dr. Seuss uh, bibliography? Was this sort of mid-career? This was, uh, was
0: nineteen sixty when the bet occurs. So that's right after that's three years after Cat in the Hat. Oh, okay. So this is relatively early yeah, in his career. Yeah, too. for sure. And so when he writes this book, we can only imagine that it's a little less of a laborious process because he's already been through it before with Cat in the Hat.
1: Yeah, except this is like a little bit more challenging, right? This is yeah. really par- like, you know, even limiting his, his uh, verbal palette even more, right?
0: Yeah, so we mentioned that this has a, um, one of the brilliant things about this book is it does actually have a plot that you can follow. You know what I mean? There's some tension in there. What, what's the plot, Noel? Our, our protagonist is named Sam I Am.
1: He is Sam. <laughs> Sam, he is. <laughs> well, um, yeah. And then there's him, right? And mm-hmm. then there's uh, this other character who is who goes nameless, mm-hmm. and he's sort of the sad sack kind of fellow who Sam keeps trying to force him to eat green eggs and ham, and uh, he proceeds to go through these various scenarios mm-hmm. as. Our buddy the Quizster would say. Um, <laughs> there we go. And uh, the guy just keeps, he's like running away from him. It's actually kind of a stalker situation because the nameless character is literally trying to escape this Sam I am who keeps popping up with green eggs and ham, you mm-hmm. know? And then he's like, you know, would you do it on a house, a car, a tree? With all these different uh, with, things, with a mouse, yeah. a, would a mouse change the scene enough right, for exactly, you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and at the end of the day, there, there's, you know, they're surrounded by the carnage that's been caused by this dude, literally trying to run for for his life from this psychotic Sam I Am character. I mean, he really is. If you look back at the book now, Sam I Am is very sinister. He goes hard sinister. on paint He goes ham. Yeah, he really does. does. Yeah, and and green eggs. Uh, and at the end. The moral of the story is the nameless grumpy dude eats the green eggs and ham, and he likes it. Right. Sam, if you will let
0: me be, I will try them. You will see. And then he tries them and say, I like green eggs and ham. I do. I like them, Sam I am. And then it goes on. The refrain flips. Yeah. And now he's. Talking I want to about do it in all those
1: places. <laughs> Bring the mouse, please. <laughs> a fox, you say? I'll eat this green eggs and ham with anything, but I know it can only be a fox, a mouse, and uh, what else? Uh, a goat. A goat. Yeah. Right. Th- that's weird because if you look at the way,
0: wh- one thing that's really impressive about this is if you look at just the lyrics or the poetry itself typed out, it's four pages long, which surprised me because it's four pages, 50 words. That's right. It's tough. It's all about
1: placement. It's like a comic book. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of these things are like graphic novels, and the text is very much incorporated into the design. And, you know, let's not forget, Seuss wrote this text, and he drew all the images, and he's Mm -hmm. single-handedly responsible for creating these worlds, which are very uniquely him, you know? Mm -hmm. I I think he's he's a pretty interesting artist, kind of a Renaissance man in that way. I also think it's funny that both ham and goat both have modern-day acronym equivalents. And Crunk, you know, I think he was on to something. I think he was
0: too. We should, uh, we should do a, a deep dive read into the works of Dr. Seuss. We should also mention, by the way, that yes, Dr. Seuss did succeed. This wasn't like a cat in a hat thing where he went a little over his word count. He managed to make a coherent story with only 50 words. He turned it around really quickly. It was published on August 12th, 1960, and it became his best-selling book you know it's purposely meant for beginning readers right but there is one one twist to the story that i find uh hilarious just because of its petty nature there's a
1: couple of good twists i want to hear yours
0: okay well here's one i think this the question that's on a lot of our minds right now what happened to the bet it turns out bennett serif didn't pay up at all what a jerk and he was a co-founder of random house it's not like he was hurting for the scratch did they publish the book Yes. Yes, they did, Noel. Random House and the Living Books Company.
1: So it stands to reason that this dude not only didn't pay up, <laughs> he benefited from it, so he's the double cheapskate. Yeah. Massive
0: benefits. What's one of your twists? There's a couple
1: of other good ones. Uh, One of them is that there were some pretty bad reviews for this book, specifically from some children's librarians. Um, The New York Public Library actually had a card catalog of hand-typed children's book reviews by their librarian staff. And here is a choice uh, excerpt from one of these reviews. Uh Sam I am won't eat green eggs and ham until after many pages of learning words, he tries them. Book is typical of Seuss late period, and his output being as prolific as it is, it's alarming to think of the onslaught that can ensue if these books are continually added to the collection. This is the best line. There must be better ways of teaching a child to read than this. Not recommended.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I saw that one too. It was it was strange because we see this kind of um harsh reviewing. Repeated, It's a cyclical thing in children's literature, right? Like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs also got some shade thrown at it. I think there was an
1: issue with uh, it being like not vegan friendly. I think it's like more of like our PC police kind of situation that we're living in right now. Uh, I, there's a good one here, Ben, that you told me about um, where a, a federal judge actually um, referenced this work in, a, in an opinion, a, a, an official <laughs> Judicial opinion. Yes,
0: it's true. Uh, in 2007, a U.S. district court judge named James Muirhead received a hard-boiled egg in the mail from an inmate. And the inmate was sending this hard-boiled egg through the post to protest his diet while he was incarcerated. The judge ordered the egg destroyed with the following, uh, with the following language in his uh, court order. I do not like eggs in the file. I do not like them in any style. I will not take them fried or boiled. I will not take them poached or broiled. I will not take them soft or scrambled, despite an argument well rambled. No fan I am of the egg at hand. Destroy that egg today, 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 I say, without delay. This judge must have had a long week. He's a real character. <laughs> we, You know what? We could also do an episode on... Uh, bizarre judge rulings because there have been judges who respond with poetry, sometimes in very serious situations. And there have been judges who, because they have complete jurisdiction, have imposed some really weird unorthodox penalties for small crimes.
1: Yeah. Remember that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where Larry has to wear the sandwich board with the, (laughs) like, I steal forks from restaurants (laughs) or whatever? The scarlet letter punishment, I believe is what they call that. That's a thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, this is just one aspect of the tremendous influence that Green Eggs and Ham specifically has had on modern culture. I think now it's in 60 different formats. It's in a multitude of languages, which confuses me because surely there would be some languages where it's more difficult to do that story just because a sentence structure or something, right?
1: Oh, yeah. It does
0: seem that way. Well, still, they they pulled it off. I want to. I would love to have a a copy of Green Eggs and Ham in a different language because it would help me learn that language
1: pretty easily, right? Or fifty words of it at least. Yeah, well, you know, you'd, <laughs> you would have the like a like a. First grader's grasp, perhaps. <laughs> no less. Kindergarten, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. You know. And if you uh, so desired, you could potentially use the works of Dr. Zeus to learn Latin, even though it's sort of incorrectly said that Latin is a dead language. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely find different books that are translated into Latin. But here's the thing. Mm. It's hard to translate this kind of stylized writing, like Dr. Seuss, into a language like that, isn't it?
0: Yeah. According to Terence Tunberg, who's been teaching Latin for decades and decades, Green Eggs and Ham was very difficult to translate. He and his spouse, Jennifer, had already translated uh, several children's books into Latin, and they tackled Green Eggs and Ham with the title being— can you help me out with the Latin here, Noel? Oh, boy. Uh,
1: Verent ova, veret perna, with lots of exclamation marks.
0: Yeah. The uh, the Tunbergs have also translated other Dr. Seuss books specifically, but they said this wouldn't was one of the toughest because of the simplified language and the short length, but it's worth doing because it gives Latin a more contemporary feel and it feels less like a dead language. Exactly so, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Focus Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story. Know
2: this. I ain't no
0: spy girl. Like never before.
1: That's my daughter. That's
2: my Amy. Big screen. I wanna be remembered for just being me. Amy
0: Winehouse, back to black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May
2: 17th. Today I'm gonna to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a there. Available wherever you will get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
0: And that is the story of green eggs and ham so far. However, that is not the end of <laughs> these Dr. Seuss facts. We found... Several. Some of them are darker. Some of them are just kind of hilarious. Yeah. Like, did you hear about how he's traumatized by Teddy Roosevelt?
1: Yeah, I did. Ben, it had to do with uh, some money he got from his grandfather, isn't that right?
0: Yeah. World War One was in full swing, and Dr. Seuss was a Boy Scout, and he went door to door, and eventually, because his his grandfather bought $1,000 worth of war bonds. He became one of the most successful war bond salesmen in his town, and they were brought on stage, him and nine other Boy Scouts, to the municipal auditorium. And who was there to present the award? Theodore Roosevelt himself, the president of the United States.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was there um, to officiate the ceremony, to you know pin a medal on these plucky young lads uh, and, and, and old Teddy Seuss was the last one in line um, to receive this major award and, uh, but it turns out that they didn't have enough medals and then Roosevelt gets to him and he doesn't have anything and he just looks over at the people off stage and it's like, who the hell is this kid? Get him out of here! And they they trundle him off stage yeah. and he gets nothing! It's like Willy Wonka style, man.
0: Right. Wow. And for the rest of his life he had a Crippling fear of crowds, and he actually skipped a lot of speaking engagements when he was a famous author because he was terrified they would be publicly
1: humiliated again. Well, there's also not a lot of uh, interviews with him, like video mm-hmm.
0: interviews with him that you can even find. Right. Let's see what else. His, uh, his first book was the uh, complete and unabridged pocketbook of boners.
1: Wow. Is it just like a visual compendium of different boners? <laughs> it was... Uh, this is back when a boner just meant an error.
0: Like, that was a real boner. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, okay, got So it. the book uh, was, it was a compilation, uh, but it was a compilation of lists of silly, incorrect answers to questions given by children. It did have a bunch of risque jokes and illustrations. He knew the other meaning of boners. Uh, you know he did. He was a bawdy boy. <laughs> he was, he was. Uh, and... I guess you could find a copy of that. It first published in 1931, and New York Times called it hilarious. I love succinct New York
1: Times reviews like that. They're usually so (laughs) overly verbose. Uh, Have you ever seen Halloween as Grinch Night, Ben? Yeah, I love it. It's so trippy. It's so cool. It's awesome, and it's very psychedelic and uh, heady and strange. So if you haven't seen that one, it's a quick one to watch around Halloween time. It's actually pretty spooky with this little kid, and there's all these creatures, and Halloween is Grinch Night, and the Hackensacks are yowling. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even talk about that. He invents such great creature names. I love—I'm glad
0: you mentioned this, because I, I have a little bit of a bone to pick with this. I love Halloween is Grinch Night. However— I think in some recent years, Dr. Seuss's good name has been besmirched with terrible film adaptations, such as The Cat in the Hat.
1: Oh, with Mike Myers? Yeah. Gross. Grown.
0: I know. And I used to love Mike Myers when I was a kid. You probably did, too, with Wayne's World, Saturday Night Live, all that stuff. Yeah. Austin Powers. But apparently, behind the scenes... And we haven't, I haven't met the guy at least, so I can't confirm or deny this, but apparently behind the scenes,
1: story is, he's a real pill to work with. I have heard this. You've I've, heard it too? I very much, especially like on Shrek or whatever. Like, yeah, and yeah. yeah, no, I've definitely heard that, uh, which is a shame. Um, you know what else is quite bad? What's that? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It was like a short little, little book mm-hmm. and a short little cartoon, and they try to stretch it into like a... Two-hour movie.
0: It was a great cartoon. Already, it's wonderful. you know what I mean. I don't know.
1: It's just I wish they would stop. Are
0: we? Does this mean that we're getting old? Isn't there another Grinch reboot coming out there as is. we're recording this? But I think
1: it's animated, or it's like it's like uh, you know CGI or whatever.
0: Oh, he also invented the word nerd. Yep, didn't he? He did. This guy is a real wordsmith. So one last thing I would like to contribute. I want to see your opinion on this, Noel, and we want to hear your opinion, ridiculous historians. Apparently, Dr. Seuss had dabbled in erotica. Excuse me? Erotica. Oh. (laughs) That's what I thought you said. He had uh, contributed art to something called The Bedroom Companion that had a comic showing, uh, well, let's just say he contributed to to that book. And as a condition of his contract later on in life, he said, okay, I'll write children's books for you only if you let me write an adult book first the seven lady godivas a story about seven naked women
1: yeah and they're writing on one of his um (laughs) you know like signature kind of nondescript beasts like it's not it's not a horse it's not a hippo i don't know what a donkey it's it's its own thing it's got traits of all of those it's probably got a name like a Barker uh, Knopf or something. Exactly. There you go, Ben. And it is, you know, uh, astride this uh, creature is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven mm-hmm. naked women of all shapes and sizes. Yeah, in his defense of all shapes and
0: sizes. Here's the thing. Why do we need to defend him? This is this is delightful. Well, the book flopped and he was kind of uh, he was kind of po'd about it because he had to settle for a career as a children's writer. This is a quote from Dr. Seuss, okay? This is not us saying. It's a quote from him. He said, I tried to draw the sexiest babes I could, but they came out looking
1: absurd. Well, what, the, what is it? <laughs> they look like Dr. Seuss characters.
0: What did he think? There's was nothing ha- sexy
1: about them. <laughs> They've all got like who hair. Yes, they're all hoovian. Yeah. yeah, big time. Well, you can't say the guy wasn't interesting.
0: When did he pass, Ben? Dr. Seuss actually lived a very long time. He did not pass away until September 24th, 1991. He was yeah. 87 years old. I remember
1: that. I remember yeah. when it happened. I mean, I was very young, but I definitely distinctly Ooh. remember the death of Dr. Seuss. You
0: know who else? Another personal legend uh, of ours who passed away recently, Stan Lee. It's true. R.I.P. Stan. You know, it's it's strange because I'm sure that he'll still be in cameos for a few more movies because they must have filmed a bunch of I them. I guess they would have had to, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Do it in a batch. And this reminds me... He was of, in his yeah? 90s, right? Yeah, he did look great. And he also... Growing up as a kid who didn't have a ton of friends, I think Stan Lee taught me uh, a ton about reading and uh, really added to my vocabulary.
1: You know what I mean? He's, he's the guy who brought
0: back Excelsior. Yeah,
1: you know, I keep saying that, and I don't know what that means. It's like excellent. Oh, okay, got it. There were a lot of tributes to him when he passed away, and everyone was saying Excelsior. I thought it was some sort of stomach medicine. It's,
0: it's used to, I guess, it means that something is of superior quality. Got it. Like a little more flashy way of saying uh, grade A, number one. But this, the reason I'm bringing up Stan Lee here, Noel, is because you and I made a mandate and we, we got a kind of a bumpy start. Our
1: mandate was to recommend comic books, remember? We did do that. We did do that. We did say that. And we kind of, you know, this is a perfect episode to do that in because yeah. I, would, I would argue that Seuss is kind of a graphic novelist in some ways. I would agree. I would agree. What are you, uh, what are you digging these days? These days I'm digging some, okay,
0: I've been really into some horror comics because, you know, it's always kind of Halloween in my heart. And uh, there's a comic called uh, Regression, which is terrifying, not for children. It's about reincarnation. And then there's another comic series that's complete called The Clean Room, which is uh, about aliens or maybe something different. To say any more would be uh, to do you a disservice. Cool.
1: Have you you had a chance to check out Nameless?
0: Nameless, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nameless was the one-shot four issues, right?
1: Yes, by Grant Morrison, Mm -hmm. who I'm always in love with everything he does. I'm just really trippy out there existential dread, almost. He, he he, kind of veers into Lovecraftian territory, oh, yeah. and this one is no exception. This one's about, like, space madness and just, like, <sighs> demonic possession and gnosticism. All, gnosticism and all kinds of crazy stuff, doorways to other dimensions, but it's a tight little story, and the art is insane. Insanely Not good. for the faint of heart.
0: Yeah, not only is it not for children, I would say it's not for you if you're already feeling a little bit, you know less than good. <laughs> Agreed. That's, it's a bit of a bummer. I'm so glad you read that one, man. I um, That's one of those that I keep buying copies of and I keep giving them away.
1: Yeah, I have a hardcover of it. And it just, the art is just alone. is, is fantastic. So we have uh, met our mandate for this episode. We talked about a crazy, weird children's book guy, mm-hmm. recommended some comics, had a good time, learned the origins of the word crunk and nerd. Invented a new uh, phrase to yell out an exclamation. Zoys, Zoys. <laughs> it's also kind of like noise,
0: noise, <laughs> Zoys, noise, Zoys. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode even half as much as we enjoyed exploring this story with you. That's all for today. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode when we examine beer, a lot of beer. A whole lot of beer, like a dangerous amount of beer. Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, thanks, of course, to our super producer Casey Peckram. Thanks to our research associate
1: Gabe. Thanks to Alex Williams, our pal who composed our theme, um, and thanks to you, Ben, for being a dapper and intelligent co-host as always. Thanks, man. I, I recently did my laundry. That's probably. It's probably where you I smell fresh and clean, my man.
0: Thank you, Noel. You're welcome. Goodbye, everyone. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash
1: credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I
0: am, and uh, aren't we all?
1: We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships.